podcast one production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Adam McDougall is a health and fitness economist, an expert in performance and health. And after 20 years as an elite athlete in one of the world's toughest sports, rugby league, Adam expanded into academic studies with connections to the world's smartest people in the fields of health and fitness. As a result, he has helped transform the health and lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Adam is the health hacker and in each episode he makes health easy as he reveals the latest secrets, shortcuts and tips on achieving ultimate health, happiness and performance. My name is Alex and I'm Adam's producer. And Adam, before we start the show, I like to go through our socials and see what people are saying to you because Adam, you love the feedback. It helps you evolve the show and even come up with topics that people want to hear from our tribe. But this one was massive. So last episode, Adam, we talked a lot about how to hack happiness, the difference between doing things for pleasure versus your actual happiness. There's a massive distinction there. If you've not heard it, it was last episode. It was fantastic. And Scott hit us up. And this is really emotional. And Adam, this is why you do this show. Hey, Adam, got to say, I'm having a bit of a rough patch at the moment. Nothing dangerous, just struggling to look to the bright side of life for some reason. Your podcast came right at the right time for me as it was really useful and quite interesting to hear the happiness-pleasure difference, which I didn't realise, and how to boost happiness generally. Time for me to man up and look internally rather than externally to get back on the path I know I want to be on. Thanks for the advice. Definitely the podcast I know will have the most influence on me. How does that make you feel, Adam? Oh, amazing. And look, it was really timely, this podcast as well, because I'll I'll be totally honest... um, you know, as much as we all like to think we know a lot, um, one of my best friends come to me and, um, you know, revealed, you know, some dark secrets which revolved around the fact that he was struggling himself and, you know, had, um, you know, really gone through a real dark period and, and I started to look into, you know, why this guy had everything in his life on the surface, you know, could be so unhappy, you know, he had a lot of money, had a good job, had a beautiful family, but he was depressed and um, so that's why I wanted to really do this podcast, understand more about it for my own benefit as well and, you know, diving deep into the difference between happiness and pleasure, as you said, if you haven't listened to it, it's an amazing way to start and just some of the tools, even for myself, you know, I struggle on, on, on a daily basis as well sometimes with our, with our hectic lifestyles, you know, to obviously sometimes take a breath and be in the moment, enjoy what I've got and, Um, That's what we try to do this show for, Alex, to help other people and help ourselves as well. On this episode, Adam, we're going to be quite practical again and we're going to go through trends because this is your job. A lot of information comes to us, but we don't know how to break it down. And we're going to break down the uh, top... We're going to do actually a two-part episode, the top 10 trends that are happening at the moment. In this episode, we're going to do five of them. Number one, DNA wellness. Number two, elimination diets. Number three, going barefoot. Number four, electric shock training. And number five, hit fit is what we're going to go through today. And I almost play the litmus test for the audience. I don't know a lot about this. I just know what you're going to tell me, but I don't know the information. So I will always, like I do every episode, try and ask questions to help the audience because, Adam, I know you've got a lot of info to get through. So, number one, DNA wellness. Uh, First question... What the hell is that? I have no idea. Yeah, wellness. Well, as athletes and when we were playing football, we actually got our DNA tested and our genes tested to see what our predisposition was to certain types of exercise, certain types of diets, you know, what our bodies were favoured to to basically do. So everybody's very different as we talk about on this show and that's why I'm such an advocate of health hacking because we are so different. There is no one diet that suits everyone, no one type of exercise. It's about discovering what works for you because we are so unique as human beings. So as athletes, what they did was put us in a lab and... uh, it sounds a lot more, I suppose, intrusive than it actually is, but we got our DNA and genes tested <laughs> yeah, to cool. see, you know, the best way to 
ultimately get the best performance out of ourselves. And now the great thing is it cost thousands of dollars back in the day when I had it done originally. Um, and it's a bit like, um, you know, going through and looking at your family history. <laughs> you know, this is the fitness and the health side of it. You know, go back and look at your family tree. The health history can be, you know, discovered, you know, maybe your great-grandfather, you know, had diabetes. So you know that your chance of having diabetes increase. Um, you know, one of your family members may have had heart disease. So therefore, that's why when you go to the doctors, they generally ask these family history questions. Someone in your family had hair loss and obviously that affected yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> you would never have guessed by looking at me, would you? So so the great thing about this is that now the average punter can simply just go into a chemist of all places and actually just get a swab taken out of their mouth, simply just put, you know, a uh, cotton bud in there. They just take a little swab of saliva and uh, they send it off to a lab and it comes back with all this amazing information about what makes you so unique. Unreal. And, um, it's crazy, isn't it? And, you know, it, it doesn't cost a lot of money um, to get these tests done. I'm talking, you know, less than a couple of hundred bucks. And um, it'll tell you everything from your ability to break down caffeine, whether or not you're a fast or slow caffeine metabolizer, which will determine when you should drink coffee. Um, it'll also talk about, you know, your genes as far as exercise go, um, which is really interesting because we all have different, you know, uh, genes in our bodies which make us better at doing certain things, being able to break down certain foods, being more favorable to different types of exercise. So, for example, if got this gene called the ACTN3 gene, which is a sprint gene. Now, if you're an explosive type of athlete, this is the sort of gene you want, uh, rather than rather than the gene that actually is uh, more favoured towards slow twitch exercise, which is long endurance type of exercise. So what they used to do with us as athletes was they'd gene test us to see if we were actually genetically predisposed to being suited to that type of sport. Um, so now as a punter, you can decide whether or not the type of exercise you're going to do actually suits your genetics. So rather yes. than going for a long, slow run, you might have the genes which essentially favour you to do more explosive stuff and that's why you like that sort of training or you get better results. Um, diets are the same thing. You know, when you look at the fat gene, the FTO gene it's called, um, or the obesity gene, um, this can tell you what type of diet you should be on as well. So if you've got an AA rating, it suggests that you likely convert fat straight into fat. So I know that the, the diets that are trending at the moment recommend high, having high doses of fat, such as the keto diet, which we're going to touch on today. For you, this would be the worst thing you could possibly do because your body doesn't have the ability to break down fat effectively. Um, where if you've got another type of gene rating, which is a TT, um, that shows you that having fat in your diet has little effect on your body. So it's so clever how you can just hack into basically what to do through getting one of these tests done. Your brand is malleable and you can be marketed this stuff. So does that mean that people are going to use DNA mapping against you to sell you products? Well, you've touched on something very interesting. In America, you know, there's already been some huge cases uh, where this stuff has been really questioned from a privacy point of view. Because insurance companies, think about health insurance companies, they would love this information. You know, for them, it's about not getting claims made against them for surgeries and diseases. So, you know, they're really worried about discrimination. And, you know, employees and employers are very worried, or employees are more worried than the employers because they can use this information as well in the workforce to eliminate people from their from their jobs um, so they don't have to pay out claims with health-related issues, particularly in America. Um, so, yeah, we probably don't want people having this information about what makes us so special and what makes us really vulnerable as well. So, and, you know, you look at how much money is going into this this market now. They're, they're predicting in 2022 that this market will generate over 350 million US dollars or 420 Australian dollars. Currently, it sits only at about $70 million a year. Mm. So, it's a really, really booming industry, this one. So, there's going to be a lot of people trying to cash in on this, Alex. But, you know, I think there's a lot of merit to it, but I also think there's 
there's a lot of science still to go into this. On this same network podcast one, I do a lot of work with a guy called Mark Pesci and he always talks about keeping your data to yourself. So if you find out this DNA <laughs> stuff, don't let anyone else have it. Hey, also with extremes, uh, that I assume will lead us to hack number two, which is elimination diets. Exactly, mate. And, you know, we all love elimination diets. You know, we all want to feel like we belong to something. We spoke about it on previous podcasts. It's part of our DNA, speaking of DNA, wanting to feel like we're part of a group. That's how we survived in, in years gone by. If we didn't be part of a group, we we become dead. We become buried because, you know, we couldn't survive on our own. So feeling like you can label yourself being a paleoist or being a vegetarian or being a crossfitter, it makes us feel like we belong to something. And that's a good thing as far as, you know, survival goes. But unfortunately, a lot of these groups are extreme and that's the problem with a lot of elimination diets is is that they demonize certain foods which we now know as hackers is not always good for everybody so once again this year there's going to be a lot of trends which vogue on elimination diets and this year unfortunately the bad guy is meat um, thanks to a documentary which was released in America called What the Health. Um, they've now proven that this uh, documentary was fraudulent in many, many, many ways. Um, and the other thing to be mindful of too, if you do watch a documentary like this or any of these type of scaremongering documentaries or get information about whether or not something's bad for you, is really take it in the context that it was built around. And when you look at a lot of these documentaries, they're made about America, Alex. So when you go to America, I remember I was there um, a couple of years ago and we were driving through the countryside from LA through to San Francisco and we were driving past these huge things that looked like prisons and there was no grass anywhere to be seen and when I looked over, my wife said to me, you see what they are? And I said, no, what are they? She goes, they're meat farms. So here they had these huge factories, warehouses, where they're actually making meat. So the cows and the cattle in these places, um, they were just housed in these concrete slab cells. And I was sitting there just going, oh my God, like it's not like the meat that you eat in Australia where the cows are roaming out in the countryside, eating the grass. So this documentary was basically formed in the context of a different type of supply chain around food, which is America. So when you have a look at gluten and you have a look at the wheat production as well, they use huge amounts of glyphosates, which is Roundup, which is pesticides. So their food chain and the integrity of their food chain is so different to Australia. So before you start becoming a conspiracy theorist and worrying about, you know, this documentary or what happens, you know, around certain types of supply chain around foods, remember to put in the context of where you live. The great thing about where we live in Australia is, is our food at this stage, the supply chain has integrity. So don't stress about it. So a lot of people now jumping on the bandwagon of demonising meat, um, going vegetarian, which, you know, I I can understand some people have moral issues with animal cruelty and whatnot, but we now know that um, eliminating, you know, meat and particularly, you know, a lot of these things aren't good for us. So something that's very popular this year is uh, flexitarianism, uh, which essentially (laughs) means having a couple of days where it's meatless Monday. And I think it's a good thing, Alex. Oh, yeah, that's moderation. That's good. Moderation. But the the diet that's really come into vogue this year is the ketogenic diet. Right. and it's, once again, carbohydrates now are the bad guys. If you cast your mind back, you think we'd learn our lessons from history. Carbohydrates were the good guys and fat was the bad guy. So what did we do? We eliminated fat out of all the food. But the problem was when you take fat out of the food, it tasted like cardboard. So they put sugar in it to make it palatable. So all of a sudden our diets went from having a small amount of sugar comparatively to a huge amount of sugar because we took fat out. And what's happened? All of a sudden we have an epidemic of bad health, obesity, diabetes because we've gone team extreme. So what do we do now? We flip the switch and we go the other extreme. All of a sudden now you've got all these paleoists or people that are on ketogenic diets guzzling down litres and litres 
of coconut oils, fats, thinking that you know their diets should be made up of 90% fat and they're eliminating a lot of food groups. Carbohydrates in particular, they're not eating any carbohydrates. They're eating 20 grams of carbohydrates a day, um, which is absolutely crazy. Now, you might ask yourself, what the hell is the ketogenic diet before I get too far down the track, Alex? And essentially, the ketogenic diet is one in which you restrict carbohydrates and you increase the fats like we touched upon and it forces your body into a state known as ketosis. Now, this is when the body uses fat instead of carbohydrates, Alex, as its primary source of fuel. So... There's some great benefits in the short term about ketogenic diets. Yes, it can help with weight loss. It can help, you know, reverse some of the effects of type 2 diabetes, chances of heart disease and protect against some form of cancers and even reverse some of the neurological, you know, diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. Um, But... Any diet that eliminates foods, I've got a problem with, Alex, I'll be honest with you. But restricting the amount of carbohydrates in our Western diets is a great thing. Um, Once again, like I said, what old is always new again. Um, The ketogenic diet's been around since 1920. It was actually designed for patients with epilepsy which is quite incredible, isn't it? So the, the reason that the ketogenic diet was actually created in the first place because of seizures seizures with people with epilepsy. And they found that putting them on a high-fat diet actually reversed a lot of the side effects from um, epilepsy. So right. whilst it has some benefits, in small doses, it's very, very effective. But I can only talk from personal experience, and that's what I encourage everyone to do. Empower yourself and try these things. I tried the ketogenic diet for a, a number of months and and different periods myself and um, I'll tell you what I was a cranky miserable bastard (laughs) 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 look you know don't get me wrong like I said if if you want to do what I call a reset diet where we try to improve our insulin sensitivity because like I touched upon we are eating way too many carbohydrates the average person in Australia eats about four to 450 grams of carbohydrates now to put that into some context for you a piece of bread's roughly got 20 grams of carbohydrates but the problem with our diets now Alex is we get up in the morning and we eat like we're 12 year old kids still we have the cereals we have the orange juices we have the toast and then before we know we're eating a muesli bar, we're having more bread again for lunch, we're having rices or pastas or pizzas for dinner, and all of a sudden, you know, we're taking in more carbohydrates than an Iron Man. Mm. <laughs> so, and our bodies can't utilise all these carbohydrates, and they're starved of the nutrients that they need, which is why we're hungry in the first place, which are namely fats and proteins. And the interesting thing is, Alex, is that we don't necessarily need carbohydrates, and that's what the ketogenic diet plays on as well, is that fats are essential to our survival, as are proteins, because fats obviously make up the cell membranes in our bodies to help make up all our cells and the proteins well obviously make up all the amino acids which make up our hair skin nails and and other uh, things in our body so carbohydrates are the most preferred instant source of energy for our bodies and our brains but they're not necessary fats can be converted as can proteins into energy for our brains and our bodies so this is what produces ketones when fats are converted into energy uh, for our brains and our bodies so um, it's really really interesting that the ketogenic diet made me a miserable bastard because I could only have 20 grams of carbohydrates. So when you put that into context, you know, you look at a, a couple of cups of vegetables or a piece of fruit and all of a sudden you're over your limit. Right. So this diet stops you from eating things which are very important to our bodies, um, which are high in fiber, which we now know the benefits of how important fiber is in our diet. And we know the benefits of the vitamins and minerals we get out of fruit and vegetables. So it's about finding what works for you. 
I am concerned, as I said, it's a fad at the moment, the ketone diet. I believe that there's some great premise behind it. Like I said, reducing the amount of processed carbohydrates that we intake in our diet, tick, big tick. Trying to eat foods that come from their natural food source, tick. Not eating things out of a pack. That's a fantastic way to start a healthy lifestyle, but it's about being balanced. And, and as I said, we spoke about genes earlier before, and we now know that if you've got certain types of genes, your body can't break down fats. And if you've got other medical conditions, you know, if you're pregnant, for example, or you've got gastrointestinal issues, or um, you're somebody that's had kidney stone issues or heart disease or a diabetic, um, you know, going on an extreme diet like this can actually cause a lot of health problems. So whatever you do before you go on an extreme diet, check with your medical professional first. And the other crazy thing that always comes off the back of this stuff, Alex, and I'm in this business, I manufacture food and I manufacture supplements, is the supplement craze. Right. Now, a lot of these things are created to make money for people. And that's the great thing. Unless something becomes demonized, you can't create a product to make money out of it. Mm. So that's what the fitness industry thrives off. We want a new fad. Why? Because all of a sudden we can make a supplement or we can make something to sell. So the ketogenic diets come along at a great time for people that manufacture sports supplements like myself because we can make a product now. Guess what? I can make ketones. Right. Well, what are they? Exogenous ketones, which means you can eat shit. That's what they're telling you. Eat sugar, eat carbohydrates, take some of these salts and guess what? You can reap the benefits of ketosis. Bullshit. You can't. Right. <laughs> now, there's a lot of popular ketone supplements out there, which maybe your friends or even your family members are trying to sell to you through these multi-level marketing companies. And unfortunately, that's one of the big things that's driving this uh, big craze at the moment is the economics behind it. You've got these multi-level marketing people out there trying to sell you ketone supplements, Alex. Now, yeah, a lot of research has gone into these things and they don't make you burn fat. So you've got to be careful when you go on a high-fat diet as well because of the amount of energy you're taking. For every gram of fat, you have nine calories. Whereas carbohydrates and protein, for every gram of them, you only have four calories of energy in the food. So when you go on one of these diets where you're gulping down lots of coconut oil, lots of MCT oils, um, lots of avocados, nuts, and high-fat you know, foods, all of a sudden your calories are going to blow out before you know it because it's very calorie-dense, these types of foods. So it's about making sure that if you go on one of these diets as well, that you realize just how much energy is in the food you're eating. Um, so getting rid of processed carbohydrates is a good thing because you don't want to have too many carbs in your body so your body can just naturally burn its energy as it is. So what I want a practical tip from you, Adam. What do we eat? Moderation. I know it's a boring message, but it's a great message that's getting out there now that we don't want to overeat carbohydrates and fats aren't bad. That's brilliant. That's all I care about now is the fact that we seem to be going from one stupid mistake to another with extremism, you know? So in 10 years' time, I just worry that they're going to turn around and say, oh, look at all these side effects of eating all these ridiculous amounts of fat. Fats are good. As I said, we need fat in our diet, but it's about balance. And we're now learning that the most important gateway to health is our guts. Now, when you're going on a diet, like a ketone-based diet and you're eliminating the most important thing for our gut health, which is fibre, all of a sudden, you know, what are the problems with this diet long-term for people that aren't eating enough fibre in their diet, aren't giving their, their, their gut microbiome enough diversity to thrive and to be healthy? And we've spoken about it in past episodes when we dived into gut health, that this is the key to a good diet is diversity, moderation, you know, making sure that your body's getting everything it needs. You know, there's so much nutritional value in so many different types of foods. I applaud everybody to get out there and eat lots of diversity in their diet and making sure you've got balance, having protein in your diet, but not going team extreme. You're not a 
bodybuilder. You don't need to eat huge amounts of protein so you look like you've been stung by a thousand bees. Um, you know, you don't need to eat as many carbohydrates as a as an Iron Man or a triathlete or an extreme athlete. You don't need to eat huge amounts of fat like some Eskimo. So it's about finding that balance, that middle road, and that's the most sensible approach and it's the most healthy one as well. Just answer me this. I just want to know, can I eat bread or not? <laughs> or is, is Seriously, is bread processed or am I better off just having rice and don't worry about bread? Look, you know, bread's a convenient thing for people and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and demonise bread, you know. Unless you're a celiac or unless you feel personally that you have, you know, gluten overload sensitivity, which I call it, rather than gluten insensitivity, 1% of people are uh, uh, are allergic truly to to gluten and like I touched upon earlier, in America, the gluten over there is so different to to the stuff here in Australia. It's been bastardised by pesticides. So, hence, you know, it will cause a lot of gut issues. But tiny amounts of gluten in the diet aren't a bad thing. It's the amount of gluten that we're getting, unfortunately, that is causing the problems for us. So having a piece of bread here and now, Alex, isn't going to hurt you. But I focus more on not eliminating stuff, but what do you put on your plate? So rather than maybe worrying about eating bread, making sure that first of all, you're getting the vitamins and minerals from things like fruits and vegetables first. More with The Health Hacker right after this. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Let's move on to hack number three, hacking into the top fitness trends that are making the rounds at the moment. And this one is going barefoot. Now, I love this trend and I'm so happy now that, you know, all of a sudden it's becoming vogue because, you know, I go for a walk every single morning, Alex, and, um, you know, I'll hack into some of the little benefits of why I walk every morning with no shoes on. So, I go for a walk down the street and I... I, uh get people just staring at me like I'm a homeless person. They see me with no shoes on. They're going, look at this weirdo. And uh, a good mate of mine, Brad Fittler, the New South Wales Rugby League coach, also loves going barefoot and a thing called grounding, which we're going to touch upon. And I used to warm up before a game of football in front of 80,000, 100,000 people at times with no shoes on. And I could just, you know, see the other players from other teams who would play representative all-star games come in and look at me and go, what's this weirdo warming up with no shoes on? And I actually originally got onto it when I went to America to work with some of the elite athletes over there and the NFL players and, and the different types of basketballers. And they were actually telling me about the benefits of training with no shoes on. And when you think about it, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? You know, we grew up playing as kids with no shoes on. Um... Our descendants wore no shoes. Then all of a sudden, you know, how does a trend develop? It develops through economics. It develops through making money. So why don't we put something plastic on some people's feet and sell it to them and say, guess what? You should walk around these plastic things on your feet. Why? Because they're good for you. But what it did is it removed us from our natural environment. When you think about how complex our body is, Alex, and in our feet, there's 28 bones alone. There's 30 joints and over 100 muscles, tendons and ligaments. So we now know that the body doesn't work in isolation and any decrease or change in the environment of the foot is obviously going to have a big impact, not just on your feet, but your whole body's chain. So we've gone from wearing no shoes to all of a sudden being thrust into this environment where we've got these clumpy plastic clunky things in our feet and all of a sudden we can't feel the ground underneath us. All of a sudden certain structures in our bodies are being forced to change. The arches of our feet, certain muscles are becoming weak and and thimble. So all of a sudden that then affects the rest of our body, whether it's our lower backs, it's our knees, our hips. So shoes aren't something that genetically and prehistorically should be worn by us as human beings. Yes, but I can't not wear shoes, <laughs> right? I just can't not wear shoes. I live in the middle of the city in Sydney. <laughs> so what shoes are good to wear? Are you telling me well-arched, you know, shoes that hug my feet and have been designed with cushion bubbles to help me run faster, apparently. I shouldn't be wearing them. I should be wearing something different or is it just about moderating it? 
Well, you're going to get a lot of argument from podiatrists saying that you need more support if you've got certain type of foot issues and, you know, you're going to hear some people say that you want minimalist types of shoes. Once again, that's what works for you. But just trying to get into... A situation where you're not wearing shoes all the time is very important. That is the key here as well. Um, you know, it's it's there's another benefit um, called earthing. Now it's a bit out there, I know. Well, I love this. Yeah, a lot of hippies are going to go, good on you, finally talking about earthing. But, you know, when you look at what our nervous system is, we're essentially made up of electricity. Um, And we only need slight alterations in our body's electrical system. So you think about when you stub your toe, an electrical signal goes from your toe to your brain to tell you that you stubbed it. That's what we're made up of, electricity. And the, 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 the Earth's surface is actually made up of negative electricity. But unfortunately, in our environment today, we're overridden with positive electrical stimulus, everything from mobile phones to, you know, TVs, anything in our environment puts off a positive charge. So all of a sudden, we're not getting that neutralisation anymore through negative charge, which comes from the Earth's surface. So being able to actually go barefoot again has scientifically been proven um, to restore our bodies and balance it back up again because we become electrically conductive. We absorb energy for, through, through the Earth's surface and we also absorb electric currents through our environment. So now that we know that the positive electrical charge, which generates free radicals in our bodies um, and leads to inflammation and disease, we now know that the importance of neutralising these effects. So that's why it's more important, Alex, to try to get back on the Earth's surface and try and get some of this negative charge. Um, which will offset some of this damage that's been caused by this overridden environmental positive charge that we're getting from everything, from mobile phones, TVs and whatnot. So, um, you know, they've done studies recently um, and a professor at the University of New England actually said that um, he found that with a randomised control study, which is very important when we talk about studies, scientific studies, a controlled study is very important, Alex, because you can control the environment that these subjects are giving you the feedback about the research. So this was a really legit study and it suggested that by earthing that you actually get huge benefits such as reducing blood pressure, an increase in the immune system, and it also has an anti-inflammatory effect. They also found that one hour of just wearing no shoes and walking on the grass and being in contact with the, the earth's surface significantly enhanced blood flow, and it also improved the skin, health, and tissue repair of our cells. So that's pretty fascinating stuff, isn't it? Just one hour. So when I see girls walking home late at night with their shoes in their hand, I go, <laughs> oh, you're not drunk, you're just earthing. <laughs> Earthing, you're earthing, good on you. <laughs> but the great thing about that is, is if you work in an office, don't throw your hands up and say, oh, that's impractical. You can actually buy earthing mats and these things actually have the same benefit as walking around with no shoes on. So Brad Fittler will be very happy. As I said that, I've talked about this. He loves walking around with no shoes on. And um, so now when you see me out for my walk, everybody, don't think I'm a weirdo or a homeless person. I'm actually doing it for my health. I've heard you talk before and I want you to try and explain about some exercises you can do which are actually in the park. And proprioception, is that how you say it? What's that all about? Uh, Proprioception. So essentially, it's the, it's the feedback that your brain receives from your body about how to restore balance and, and uh, movement. And, you know, a big key to this is, like I touched upon earlier, by walking around all these years with these plastic things on our feet, we lose a lot of our proprioception in our bodies, our, our body's ability to sense, you know, when we're off balance and when we're not off balance because we're being artificially balanced oh, by shoes. right. So... All of a sudden, take when you your shoes off, and you become a better surfer. Out, take your shoes off, you become a better surfer. So you can do things like roll up a towel with your feet, walk on sand, which is going to strengthen all the little muscles in your feet. Um, like I said, there's a hundred ligaments, tendons, and muscles in your feet. So you need to strengthen these little muscles up, and that's going to help with the strength of the rest of your body because you get feedback, which goes to your brain to restore balance from your feet. And you know how much force you can apply when you run is determined by how much force you can apply through your feet. So when you stand up on a surfboard, like you said before. 
How well can your feet grip the surfboard is going to determine how well you turn. So it all starts and ends with your feet, a lot of people will say. So you want to increase your proprioception and this will increase everything, you know, as you age in particular. Most people die as they age through falls. So we lose strength as we get older. And once again, we lose proprioception because we lose connection with our feet. So just take your shoes off and stand on one foot and then compare it to when you got your shoes on. You're half as good, I can tell you now. So doing little drills where you stand with no shoes on, shut your eyes and try and touch, you know, your finger to your nose. Put your hands above your head. And, you know, just doing these little things like that will really improve your balance. And proprioception and an increase in proprioception has been found to increase longevity as well, Alex. So there's a little hack for you. I love this. All right, so what we've had so far is DNA wellness, elimination diets, and then going barefoot. And not only will it sort of help you reduce your positive charge from all the electricity that's in the world, and Wi-Fi and everything running through your body that's going to go back into the <laughs> earth. Uh, you also can improve your balance, which is a great thing. All right, Adam, hack number four. Uh, in part one of the top 10 health and fitness trends that we're going to go through in this two-part series, trend number four is electric shock training. Is this... I remember seeing these commercials maybe in the 90s <laughs> where it was uh, an ab shocker. Is this that stuff that's come back again? <laughs> It has come back again. And, you know, we're well, speaking of electricity, literally, this is literally electrocuting yourself. Now, I played with a guy called Robbie O'Davis, who, uh, you know, was a great footballer, a uh, bit of a head case, but nothing wrong with that. And he uh, would love to try Team Extreme stuff. You know, he was one of these guys that was always pushing the edge of performance. And I remember he turned up one uh, day uh, when we went away on a road trip and I roomed with him and um, he pulled off his shirt and he had this huge electrical pad on his body. I was like, what the hell's that? Is that one of them ab machines that you're get on the infomercials. He's like, yeah, look at it. It's working. Pulled it off and he had this mad six pack. Now, <laughs> he thought that it was the, the electrical shock training that was probably giving him the six pack, placebo, but it's back again now. But it's even got better, Alex. Not a, not do you buy a hundred dollar device to stick on and give you a little bit of an electric shock. These things now are in gyms, commercial gyms, and they're putting people in like a wetsuit <laughs> that is just covered with electrical uh, shock pads. And they actually try to kickstart you like a flat battery. <laughs> is there any benefit in this? Is this all BS or is it actually there's some bonuses to it? Look, you know, they're charging 150 bucks a pop in some gyms uh, to get you uh, this electrical shock. Oh, I'm going to open a gym. This is amazing, this stuff. The, the science is very, very iffy, you know. Look, although like shock waves, electrical shocks will cause the muscle to contract. At the end of the day, your muscles need resistance to become stronger. That's what overload is. That's how progressive overload is. The story of Milo. I don't know if you heard the story of Milo. That when he started off as a little boy, he had a little baby cow and he picked it up, the calf. And every single day he had to carry the calf across the, the river. And as the calf grew, he grew stronger and his muscles become stronger because he was progressively overloading his muscles. Mm. So that is, the, that is the secret behind getting bigger and stronger muscles is progressive overload. It's about building up resistance to the, the challenge that is being posed to your body and your muscle structure, which is load. So just because a muscle contracts, our muscles always contract when we move, but it's the intensity of the contraction and the load that causes this intensity, which actually causes muscles to respond, adapt and grow stronger. So no, 
unfortunately, a little shock to the muscle isn't going to do a lot for increasing muscle mass and strength. Um, but you have to be very careful because it can actually still cause waste products in the muscles. And a lot of people have actually been hospitalized from some of these training sessions in America. So, you know, there, there was an athlete, um, which I'll always remember, uh, one of the great Australian track and field athletes that actually, you know, back in the day, heard about electrical magnetic stimulation training, EMS training. And they do use these device, Alex, athletes for recovery. Um, and there is some benefit, as I said, to low intensity EMS treatment as far as helping recovery or people that are post-surgery. Because you think about post-surgery, if your arm's in a cast or if it's immobilised, you can't move or contract the muscle. So there is some blood flow benefit to getting blood flow into that area, which contractions will do. But as far as making you stronger and fitter, there is no benefit as far as I'm concerned. But if you want to do some ES, EMS training with one of these devices, um, which are sold on the internet or you go to a physio and use, there is some slight benefit for oxidisation and, and for recovery. Um, and you might see your favourite athlete plugged up to one of these after the game. You might turn on on the NBA and, and watch, you know, Kobe Bryant all of a sudden, you know, getting these little shocks. Um, but he's doing that for recovery. He's not doing it to make himself stronger. You know, there's always a, a motive behind all of these things and it's usually money. So my answer to this one is, whatever you do, give this one a flick. Save the $150. The final trend that we're going to go through in this two-part series of Hacking the Top 10 Health and Fitness Trends is... Hit fit. Now, is this HIT fit, like as a high intensity fit? Yeah, we've spoken about high intensity training before in previous podcasts. You go back and listen. And it is. It really is the golden child at the moment of health and fitness when it comes to exercise. So, you know, what I love about this is anybody can do it. It's all relative. High intensity is what? And this is what people have to be careful of. Don't think that you can't do high intensity exercise because you're 60 or you've got a bad knee. It's relative to your fitness levels. So, making sure that it's based on quality. Your exercise is based on quality, not quantity. And we now know that just short bursts of hard effort followed by short periods of recovery actually leaves you not only sweating, but it also gives you huge health benefits as well. Now, when you have a look at some of the research behind it, the science doesn't lie, Alex. You know, they've found as little as two minutes of exercise um, has the same benefits as 50 minutes of exercise, which is mind-blowing. But it's the type of exercise we do. It's important. Remember what I said? You just can't walk for two minutes to get the benefit. It's things like going as hard as you can on an exercise bike, pedaling like your life depends on it for 20 seconds, hmm. then letting your heart rate get back to normal and doing that again several times for, for you know, the two minutes in total. Um, they found that, you know, this exercise had the same benefits like I touched upon as 50 minutes of exercise for three times a week. So if they did six minutes of exercise, Dr. Martin Gambala from McMaster's University in Canada, who's really the leader in this type of exercise research when it comes to high-intensity exercise, has done so much amazing study and research on this that you can't argue with it, you know. Do you believe it? Do you do that? I, this is how I trained as a rugby league player. You know, how I got on the high-intensity exercise was quite interesting, actually, was after I blew my knee out and did my ACL and I was out for nearly 18 months, I travelled to America to obviously do a lot of prehab and rehab. And um, I found that a lot of the top athletes out there weren't doing huge volumes of, of training. They were doing more quality. Hmm. And that's the thing, you know, exercise is about quality, not quantity when it comes to sports performance. We thought for the average population that the benefits from exercise come from accumulation, volume. But we now realise that quality is more important than anything. It trumps everything. So as an athlete, you're trying to obviously improve your central nervous system and your body's ability to be efficient. And that comes through quality. But now we know that, you know, just two minutes can increase things like insulin sensitivity in the average population by 28%, which essentially means when you use 
food as energy rather than storing it as fat. Mm. So your carbohydrates and your carbohydrates get converted into energy rather than being stored as fat by a massive 28% more effectively after doing high-intensity exercise. Things like growth hormone, which is great for, for muscle growth, great for wellness, great for anti-aging. This increases by up to 450% as a result of a couple of minutes of high-intensity exercise. These stats are just mind-blowing. And I can only speak from personal experience. Like I said, as an athlete, after I did my knee, I couldn't do a lot of high-volume training because my knee would blow up and get very sore. And the other great thing about this type of exercise is you don't need a gym, you don't need any equipment. You can just run on the spot. You can shadow box. You can skip. You know, you can jump up and down on a trampoline. You know, you can swim as fast as you possibly can for, for a short period of time. You can use the natural environment that you've got, the hotel room, the office. So this exercise is free. It's available to everybody. And we now know it's nine times more effective at burning fat because of a thing called EPOC, excessive post-oxygen consumption, which essentially means it's the afterburn effect from training that we're trying to get to help us burn fat, which means when you exercise, you go for a slow, long run or a jog or a walk. Essentially, you know, even 20 to 30 minutes after exercise, your body returns to its normal state. But when you've pushed it to the extreme with high-intensity training, it's trying to play catch-up. It's producing all these hormones, enzymes. Your body's then trying to recover from this high-intensity exercise, so the metabolism is ramped up for 24 to 48 hours afterwards. So you keep burning calories at a higher intensity and a higher rate as a result of this short, sharp training. So it's really exciting, Alex, that anybody can get fit just in a couple of minutes every single day. But we have to be very careful. It's all about dose. So just because a couple of minutes of high intensity exercise is good for you doesn't mean doing 20, 30 or 40 minutes of this is good for you. I love some of these high intensity types of training and I love group training. You know, I'll go out now and say F45. I love the community around it. But I do worry with some people that doing these forms of high intensity exercise for 45 minutes to an hour, if they don't know what they're doing, can be very dangerous. It's like CrossFit. I like CrossFit in small doses. I like the methodology around CrossFit about community and using weights and high intensity training. But the thing that scares me about CrossFit is bastardizing things like Olympic weightlifting and doing them under fatigue. And that's the same with some of these types of group training that promote high intensity training for an hour. It just is stupid. And this is where we need to be careful. The reason they want you to do it for an hour is because you're not going to go to a personal trainer and say, here's a hundred bucks to train me for two minutes. Mm. <laughs> okay, Adam. So then what's the minimum is a couple of minutes. What's the maximum I can do? Because, you know, if some people who are fitter, they can go harder than just two minutes. Because I assume the whole point of avoiding a maximum is high intensity training is full on. You want to avoid injury. Exactly. And that, that's the key. You don't want to go to team extreme. So, you know, the Tabata protocol only calls for four minutes. Um, you know, there's other methods out there which say rest up to two and a half minutes at a time. It's all personalized once again. It's about playing around with it and finding what works for you. You know, I know personally, if I go 100% intensity and I feel that my quality starts to drop off by about 20%, I stop because there's no point because I'm there to train high intensity. So once the intensity drops off, just stop. You know, and that's the key to high-intensity training is go for quality, not quantity. I'm going to run through the five health and fitness trends Adam's gone through in this part one episode of a two-parter of the top 10 that are trending at the moment. DNA wellness was, you can go and get your DNA checked and it will give you a guide, not a true silver bullet, but a guide to maybe some of the exercises and foods you can be eating that will benefit your body. Number two, elimination diets. Although sometimes it can help you, you know, reset your body, the way your stomach works, or also avoiding too many uh, processed carbohydrates. Extreme is not good. You don't want to eliminate all carbohydrates like 
like in ketogenic diets. Number three, going barefoot, where you recharge your body. I like this, Adam. It was very hippie going standing in the park, and I think I'm going to do my sprints barefoot now. Uh, also, the fact that getting your feet used to being back in the ground and there, the core part of your balance will really help you become more stable on your feet when you have got your shoes on. It does make sense. Number four, electroshock training. More or less avoid that one. Uh, but number five, <laughs> high-intensity uh, fit training is still just as important as we have always thought. It is trending, but avoid going too extreme on this one. Adam, part two of the top 10 health and fitness trends is going to be massive. We're going to look at fasting, junk light. I have no idea what that means. Gut health, which we've touched on before, so you can get ready for that by listening to our gut health episode. Skinny tea and weed. So, mate, I'm looking forward to doing that episode with you next time, Adam. I can't wait. Once again, I'm going to uh, dive in and try some of these hacks myself, everyone. So, uh, look forward to catching up with you next time. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced and edited by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.